0: For other people who are I's and D's who are more the typical salesperson, we have to give them enough reps with a person who gives them the right kind of feedback so that way they're reminded always, hey, this is a person. And if you, didn't, if you wouldn't like to be treated like this on the receiving end of it, why would you do it to anybody else? So it's kind of enough reps to not care for certain people and enough reps to actually care about the human on the other side of it for different kinds of people. Welcome to Pipelineology, the business-to-business podcast for agencies, consultants, coaches, and businesses looking to build a pipeline of hot prospects ready to buy their products and services. Never wonder where your next client is coming from. To learn more about our strategies, services, and for resources on building your sales pipeline, visit Pipelineology.com. Now, on to the show.
1: All right, we are live. John, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me, man. I'm stoked to be here.
1: I, I'm, I am excited as well. So I guess maybe we should start with who the heck is John Hill for from for our listeners who uh, are not uh, regulars on your Sales Throwdown podcast. Uh, can you give everybody a little bit of a background about yourself?
0: Yeah. um, So I am one of the hosts of Sales Throwdown, which is a weekly podcast talking about psychology and self-awareness in sales. Um, We, me and my co-hosts had been on the sales coaching path as recipients for a while. And we kept having these conversations and we kept finding that the main differences were ourselves, right? How we viewed the situation, what we needed to feel comfortable and things like this. And we'd spent a lot of time learning about ourselves. And then we kind of had this idea, maybe other people would benefit from this. So about a year ago, we started that podcast. um, And just each week, we talk about DISC, which is a personality assessment that is really nice to use in sales conversations, because it is a very blunt instrument. There, There are other assessments, which I think do a phenomenal job in other ways. But when it comes to figuring out what the other person in the conversation needs to have trust and to see value in the things that you're doing. There's differences in how we operate and how we're wired just as a default. So um, the more you know about yourself, the more you will then know about other people because you will see the differences and the better you can communicate to their needs and close more deals and have more trust and do all the things that we're all trying to do in business. So that's kind of the, uh, the, one of the projects, my, my main company is called adapted growth and we, Coach salespeople, agency owners, consultants. We help people find sales closers. We help people scale sales teams um, around process and technology and doing it the right way. So that way it actually scales and avoids some of the hiccups that people normally run into when they're trying to scale sales past themselves.
1: That's awesome. How'd you how'd you kind of get into the sales, sales side of things, especially kind of on the the training?
0: yeah great question i I have been in sales for about twenty years and i and I lump in bartending and waiting tables into into selling because I found out from fairly early on that the more that I sold in the form of appetizers, upsells, and desserts, the higher the ticket was and the more I got tipped and so I kind of ran with that ball. Everything had an upsell you know you want a margarita, okay, you want an extra shot on top you know, and things like this just to <laughs> you know wrench up the the average ticket cost. And then I moved into wireless sales and sold for Sprint and T-Mobile and AT&T when when the iPhone was coming out. And then moved into banking because I was kind of tired of retail and was a financial advisor. had my Series 7 and 66 and sold and wrote business there. And then um, I got an opportunity from a friend at my martial arts school that I was training at to come sell medical devices, which is the brass ring, right? Like this is where the killers hang out. And I was so (laughs) excited. And I had a lot of ego around my ability to sell and learned really quickly that a lot of that ego was unfounded, right? I struggled. I had a I had a very hard time getting acclimated to the B2B structure being way outside um, in these things. And so first job I I ever had where I was not like immediately successful, which was a huge, huge blow to my ego. And was, I was waiting tables at night to kind of supplement because I took a pay cut to go do this thing. And uh, it was kind of a nightmare. And then another friend of mine uh, from the same martial arts school said, you should come meet my coach. And what's really weird about the situation is I had been learning martial arts from my coach, right? My teacher, and I was now coaching him. But he goes, you should come meet my sales coach. And I said, I don't need a coach. Right. It's so crazy. I'm coaching him because I put in enough time that I, that my coach allowed me to coach other people. And here I am seeing no, no value in a coach to help me out in the thing that generates all my revenue and my livelihood. And um, he goes, okay. I was like, that's it. You're not gonna, you're not gonna try harder. And he goes, no if you're not ready, you're not ready. And I was like, wait a minute. I didn't say I'm not ready. Well, here, here are some tapes. And I listened to these tapes and it was my whole head exploded. There was a whole other world around like sales and selling that I just did not have any exposure or or access to. And then after that, it's like, cool, somebody else has done this. I want this, right? I'm a technique and process driven guy anyway. So once I realized that there's other ways of doing it. I just want it. I, I don't have any ego. Once I see that there's a different, better way, I just want as much of that information as I can get. So, about that time, I was becoming a little disillusioned with the medical devices. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy some of the deals that go on there. And I didn't really think I wanted to do it for forever. And so, the the other guy was like, "Finally, like, come talk to me." And I went and talked to him, and he was like, "I'd like you to be a partner in the website." Company that I'm building, and I was, I'm, I said, I'm totally down to do this, but I want all the sales training, and he's like, that's the only reason we're talking about it, and that's where it started.
1: That is awesome. Yeah. I think when you mentioned the uh, the uh, sales and pr- or the process driven guy, I think that kind of kind of leads into our conversation before we kind of got on the air here was. Sales is a, a voluminous topic, right? You have a, a podcast that just talks about that every week. And when I asked you to come on, I said, "John, if we had thirty minutes, what is going to be the most impactful thing we can talk about for thirty minutes that's going to really help somebody get close more sales, get more people sold, and, and in their in their world? And uh, what what did we come up with?
0: So. A lot of how I think about sales and selling comes from two main areas, right? One of them I talked about a moment ago, which is like martial arts, right? The big thing in martial arts is that if you're not training regularly, like multiple times per week, you're not really progressing. And then rust starts to develop on your techniques. Same thing happens in sales, right? Um, The other big area where I draw a lot of my sales philosophy from is from poker. I played professional poker uh, in 2006, from January until September of that year. Paid all my bills, it was, it was awesome. Um, not the best way to like balance a family, but I didn't really have one at the time. I, I had my girlfriend who I'm still with and she was amazing and very patient. But um, in, in poker, it's about consistency. How consistent can you win? How, how consistent can you minimize your losses? Right. Because if you run out of money, you're just out of money, you're out of the game. Right. So how do you how do you make sure that you're not leaking money in bad ways and maximizing in the good ways? And <clears throat> there's a there's a whole process to poker, right? You know, you see it on TV and you see these people, especially like older style people who are playing by feel, but like there's this whole group of, and it's called it's called game theory optimal, right? So so knowing the math inside and out so that way your decision making is always consistently good. And selling is the same way, right? So A lot of people think that salespeople can flip a complete no to a complete yes. And you might be able to, honestly, you know, there there are probably some people who are capable of doing that. But when we look at the time that selling eats up with, you know, prospecting and qualifying and closing and proposals and haggling and follow up and everything else like this, it's not so much about your ability to be influential and make people totally shift their tune. It's about how do you manage the time so that way you're spending people or time with the right people who you have the highest percentage of buy-in with just starting out. So that's the very first step in process, right? Which doubles down on the work that you're doing on the marketing side, hopefully about identifying your target market, your target avatar, their buyer's journey and things like that. So that way you can start saying no to everything else that comes along your way, because it just doesn't make sense. You know, um, sales used to be a thing of, because we were limited by, by geography and we weren't all super connected that it made sense to spend more time with people and really work them from a no to a yes and work the long game. But now, you know, I can prospect on LinkedIn, right. And get in front of hundreds of people who don't live in my city. So why do I need to spend time with somebody who's not going to see value in what I'm doing? Right. I can, I can continue to beat my head against that wall or I can go fish in a different pond and have better opportunities and better chances. So that's the very first step of process is really taking the work that you put into your marketing and also building it into your, into your sales approach and prospecting as well.
1: I think, that, I think that makes a lot of sense. So when you, when you start talking to people about sales processes, do you find that there's a, a natural resistance where somebody says, I don't need a process, I'm, I'm the guy?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, just about everybody I talk to tells me that they close every deal that they get in front of, which <laughs> I, I have been that guy. I have felt pressure to make statements along those same lines in the past, but it's just not true right? It's just absolutely not. And one of the things that I have learned is that it's really hard to improve on anything whenever you don't know what the baseline is, right? And then sales, just like in poker, um, you can lie to yourself very easily. I made the right decisions, I just got unlucky, right? Did everything I could do, but you know, just couldn't close that deal. No one was going to close that deal. And, and that might be true. But at some point, you got to take some accountability and ownership over your abilities and what you're able to do. And then, adjust as necessary, right? Um, You might not close at the same rate that I close. That doesn't mean you can't be successful, right? You might not get as many appointments as I do on prospecting. Once again, that doesn't mean you can't be successful. It just means that you either need to adjust your cadences and your your behaviors um, or activities or find a different way, right? Cold calling still works. Cold email works, right? LinkedIn works, right? Organic reach works. There's all of these different ways of skin in the cat. You just have to find the way that works for you, which is another reason why process is so important. Because once you know the path, it's a little bit easier to stay on the path. Whereas when, when you're working without a process, you can, oh, this seems okay. And this seems okay. And this seems okay. And then when you want to go to hand it off to somebody else, it's nearly impossible to do so.
1: No, I've, uh, I can tell you, I've, I've uh, been, been guilty of that myself of not really having a process in place. And then when it comes time to have somebody else come on board to, to help with that, it's, it's a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> just, just that, For lack of a better word, that's uh it's kind of what happens is they say, okay, great. You could sell. How, how, why can't I? What What's going on? And you're like, well, you're not me. And that's, that's kind of a terrible way to, to build a business. <laughs>
0: You know, it's, I I don't know widely, but the people that I talk to are are deathly concerned about making mistakes in hiring, right? Because it's going to take time to ramp somebody up. It's going to take time to go through the the whole process of like interviewing and vetting and making sure they're a good fit. And then you got to bring them on and train them. And then if you make a bad, you know, hire, they leave and you got to do the whole thing over again, right? When you have process, you can say, cool, here's 80% of what you need to get started and you can eliminate some of the ramp up time and and scale your hiring and make it easier and make it more repeatable because people are going to leave, right? It, it just happens, right? And you don't want to be the guy who's holding someone hostage, essentially, because you don't know how to replace them,
1: you know? So, so how do you, I guess, I think, I think perhaps people think that oh, I got to make a process, which means it has to be this really slick, polished, high-pressure, buy or die type of scenario, right? Where we feel like we're oh, what's that movie, um, the Wall Street one? But yeah, yeah, right, where we're we're all in the boiler room essentially doing these presentations. So, mm-hmm. how how do you make a? I guess how do you kind of take that approach of? no, this, you don't have to be a a sleazy, you know, type of unethical person. How can you kind of build it with this in mind that, you know, this is going to be good for, for everybody. It's going to make everybody better.
0: So this is a lot of where the personality stuff comes into play for me, because what happens is we know that as we go around, right, the wheel of disc, right. uh, disc is broken into four quadrants, D I S and C. And so to, if you're not familiar with disc, the kind of big archetypes of personalities, right. To kind of make this a little bit easier to talk about, you know, like, like Mark Cuban is a D right straight to the point doesn't care about your feelings. He's task-driven. He's going to be successful and he's going to win a lot, you know, for the eye, right? You know, Kevin Hart, that that center of attention. I'm going to tell stories. They they need to be in the middle of it. They need to be influential and they and they really need to be liked at the end of the day. M- M- Mother Teresa is kind of like our, our S, right? Always in the service of others. Um, most S's don't really like conflict, you know? And so there's, there's, there's all these things. And then as a C is like Dr. Spock, right? Logic, clear expectations. What are the rules of the box? What do you expect of me? We don't really do very well in nuance. And I say we, because I am a C, right? So the, the, the engineer, the accountant, the people who you typically don't see in sales roles because they don't like talking to people. That's me at my core. So all of this stuff that I do for networking and guesting and being on, you know, being on the panel of a podcast myself is learned adjusted behavior that I now do, because I've kind of zeroed in on what on what my why is at the at the end of the day, right? Without without knowing your why, all of this stuff is is a lot harder to do. Um, but once you have a have a clear path to that and you know what you have to do, then it becomes easier to do things that are outside of your comfort zone. So that's why that self awareness really starts there. But you really have to figure out a way that you can sell and feel comfortable right? Because we all need different things to feel comfortable, right? Because since we all have strengths, as we go around that list, we also have areas to improve on. So I was not this guy five years ago, right? At all. I was very, very, very different, right? As I was starting to learn this stuff and really kind of get it under my belt and own it, I I've shifted a lot because it's very, it's very purposeful. So I know that I would rather work on spreadsheets and look at data points than go talk to people. So I'm going to force myself to go talk to lots of people until this becomes a thing that becomes very easy for me to do. Um, but it's never my natural inclination. So that's why, you know, KPIs and tracking your activities and things like this become really important. So for the very first step that I, that I do for everybody is take a disc assessment, so that way you can begin to learn, what's going on, right? Because I would see all these other all these other salespeople, especially in the medical device realm, who were just killing it. And I could not understand why. Well, they seem to have a lot of confidence. And right? and I don't have confidence in the same way as a lot of these people did because it was just effortless for them. Right. And I didn't really have it effortlessly. I had to go out and kind of like fake it until I made it and do and do all the all of these things. So the, that self-awareness is super important because I thought that I would be more successful if I was more confident, right? As opposed to I, was, I found success whenever I got okay with the fact that not everybody wants to work with me, right? Which is just a difference in the perception of it, but that's where process really starts to come out, if that makes sense.
1: So so do you find that all four types, uh, the D, the I, the S, and the C, can, can all four of those personalities be effective at sales.
0: Absolutely. Right. Um, the thing about it is, is, you have to be working with the right intention, right? The, um, coming from a kung fu background and a martial arts background, the answer is always more reps. You probably don't need to talk more about it. You probably don't need more theory. You probably just, just need to go do it 50 more times, right? There's this kind of saying in kung fu that when you learn a technique, you need to be prepared to do it 100 times, with 99 of those times being wrong. And only one of them being right. And then the next hundred times, two should be right. And then three, right? So when we look at stuff like the 10,000 hours rule and peak performance stuff, you know, and Anders Ericsson, I think is his name, um, and all of that stuff, that pays double duty when we're looking at sales and martial arts and stuff like this, you know, flow states help you get Knowledge quicker, it helps you get to mastery quicker, so how can you build flow states in your sales conversations? How can you build flow states in your in your own development so that way all of this it becomes easier and there's some components that we do with our coaching around that um, but that's that's where it is right? You have to know where you're starting from so that way you can build a plan to figure out how you want to go. I coach some people who were who were s types who were notorious for not being good salespeople. They've got too much empathy. They don't like to ask hard questions. They don't like to frame conversations well. And so for those kinds of people, we take a very specific style of training and coaching, which is just reps and reps and reps so that way they know they can say hard questions and the world doesn't actually end. You know, for other people who are I's and D's who are more of the typical salesperson, we have to give them enough reps with a person who gives them the right kind of, Feedback, so that way they're reminded always, hey, this is a person, and if you didn't, if you wouldn't like to be treated like this on the receiving end of it, why would you do it to anybody else? So, it's kind of enough reps to not care for certain people, and enough reps to actually care about the human on the other side of it for different kinds of people.
1: Oh, that's very interesting. I guess I've 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 never really considered it that way. That the you've got to you've got to get to the right you know the the right training for the based on them.
0: One of the things that my that my Kung Fu teacher really emphasized was that the minute you had a little bit of ownership over a technique, you then had to teach it to somebody else, right? Because when you have to explain something to um, anybody else, you have to know it on a level completely higher than, than what you were learning it as when you were just trying to do it yourself. And if you have kids, right? I mean, anybody who's listening to this who has kids understands this exactly because I can't tell you how many times my daughter has come and asked me, what does this word mean? And the only way that I know to define that word is with the word, right? So we then have to go and look up the word and figure out what it means and in a way that I can explain it to her, right? So that way it makes sense because she's nine. And coming from that martial arts uh, school, I, I would always lead with how I learned it. And then some people were like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, cool. And then I would call over one of my, you know, we call them older brothers and sisters, right? One of my older Kung Fu brothers or Kung Fu sisters or my teacher and be like, hey, my way isn't really working. Could you help out? And then I would hear them explain it a little bit different. And then I would see the click. And then I would, I'd file that away for the next time. So then the next time, if my way didn't work, I would try it their way. And then if it still didn't work, I'd call somebody else over. And so then I, I became really good at trying to figure out different people need to be taught the same technique, the same ideas much, much differently so that way they actually can wrap their heads around it. And then when I started to learn about DISC and I really started to work with people all over the map personality-wise, um, I couldn't teach them the same way that I could Of just, you know, do the behaviors and don't care about the outcome, focus on the process. Because for some people that is so far outside of their comfort zone that they can't even start, which makes sense.
1: So do you find that the way you have to sell changes based on your prospect's personality then as well, or can okay.
0: Yeah. You know, um, and, and not to cut you off, but like, like that's, that's the majority of it. Right. So as a C type, I like a lot of data. I like a lot of information. I want very clear expectations, right. On both the, on both the buyer side and the seller side. And so by default, we tend to sell to others the same way that we want to buy. So if I'm talking to someone, you know, call them an I because they're the polar, polar inverse of, my, of me as a C. They just want to know, do I trust you? Do I think like you, like me? Do we, are we going to be able to get along? So they don't need all the details that I want to share with them, right? Here's the process. Here's what, I'm, here's what I'm accountable for. Here are our milestones and here's our delivery things and everything else like this to make sure that we're covered. They just want to know, can I pay for this? Are you going to fix my problem? Do I trust you to do it? Okay, yeah, let's go. Right. And that's crazy when you start to think about it because now that I know all this, I think about those, about the deals I lost whenever we were launching the website business because I was too detail oriented for people who don't care about details. Right. So we've got to be able to shift towards the other people. And depending upon the sell, depending upon how your lead generation strategies are in place, you can really kind of build it out in a way that makes a ton of sense for you. I love the network and I can get into good qualifying sales conversations from networking, but I know a ton of people who can't, right. They feel like, well, this was a networking conversation. So I need to probably network with them four or five more times before I talk about the business and stuff like this. And it's like, no, that's not true. Right. Some of this we do just by default because of our perception and our worldview and our, and our past experiences, but that doesn't mean you're doing it the right way.
1: You know? No, I, I think I'm one of those people who says, you know, I I I a networking call, I'm I'm terrible at turning those. But if you give me a call where the expectation is set, we're gonna have a really powerful, you know, good, good conversation at the end of it. But I, I struggle I struggle to turn them.
0: Well, you know, the the thing is is you you hit on a key point. Everybody wants to know the expectations. Nobody wants to hop on a networking call and then it's a pamphlet push, you know, or let me show you like what, what we're doing over here. Oh, you see value in this? I had no idea. And like trying so hard to play like you're like, like there's not any interface with sales, right? Um, you know, some of the groups that we're both in, well, we will see people and like, cool, I'm going to hire a salesperson. What do I call them? like, so just call them a salesperson, just treat them to treat people <laughs> like humans and not just like tasks that they have to win at. Right. Um, and then there's a whole big aspect of like sales culture that goes into this as well. If you're one of these people who thinks that everybody needs you and that every, every sale is a knockdown and why aren't you closing these deals? You're going to build a culture that is going to be incentivized around shoving bad fits uh, being high pressure when you don't really need to be and things like this. Whereas if you can have a process-oriented culture and one that's focused on self-coaching, um, then what happens is you're gonna get a whole different kind of salesperson, which is totally fine, but these people will stay around longer than some of the other people will. And you'll have more scale, you'll have more forecastability, you'll have more bankability in your pipeline. One of the big things that I talk about with people is if you're if you're mentally holding any any opportunity is kind of precious. Like, like, man, I really need this one. I really need this one. You don't have enough stuff in your pipeline, right? Because you should have enough deals in your pipeline, a, that you can't even hold it all in your head. So that way you're forced to use a CRM. Everybody should be using a CRM. I don't know why people don't. (laughs) And then there's a big difference between you get one opportunity to sink, to, to sink the three point shot and you get to eat tonight and you get 10 shots. To hit the three-pointer and you get to eat tonight the the difference in those two situations is so significant and it doesn't matter whether that's sales or poker or martial arts or business or anything else the more opportunity you have the less attached you are to any of it and the better decisions you're going to make in the long run and once again that comes back to process and being consistent
1: so if i say okay i i think this process thing is a good idea what what should i be measuring how how do i keep scored how do i know that we're moving in the right direction.
0: Man. Okay. So this is my favorite, favorite topic about the whole thing, right? Because KPIs are my bread and butter. Like I live by them, you know, and for those who don't know, KPI uh, stands for key performance indicator. Um, When I first learned about them, they were, uh, I heard someone call them key predictive indicators. And I prefer to look at them as predictive indicators as opposed to performance indicators, because I feel like it changes the tone of the conversation when you're, when you're talking with, you know, a salesperson and you want to talk about their KPIs, right? when they're predictive indicators, meaning that these are activities that if we do them consistently, they lead to the to the right outcome, then, you know, it, it's really easy to kind of hold people accountable, set out structures and process and everything else. When you're living in a results-only environment, it becomes, don't worry about it, boss. I'm going to hit my numbers. I've got a big one on the line, you know, and these things that sometimes salespeople do because they're trying to thrive in a, what have you done for me lately, kind of like, situation. Um, so the, the very first thing of process, honestly, I start with, what do you say no to, right? Because if you can learn to say no very, very quickly, right? And, and that becomes easier. You stop spending time with people who don't make sense, right? So Gary, I I know your business pretty well because you and I work together. If somebody came to you who was like your cousin who you didn't even know how to business or was or was into any of the things that you deal with. And they came to you and they're like, Gary, I need your help. You wouldn't go to them and be like, okay, cool. When do you want to start? Or you would have concern, right? Because they don't fit anything that you know to be true about the people who you normally kill it with. So when we're trying to manage our time, this kind of doesn't make sense to go have a call, put together a proposal, do my eight stages of follow-up and all these things that like we, we know we're supposed to do because it just doesn't make sense. And then what happens is we get to have some nice skepticism, right? We we ask more questions. We don't make as many assumptions. And that is a huge part of just selling well in general. Don't make assumptions about other people's businesses because nobody wants to admit that that their business is exactly like somebody else's because it's probably not. So... When you show up and you make a bunch of assumptions, you're you're not giving them the room to talk. So they're all, they're going to feel like you just want to make a sale. So there's you know some some nice little things to that. Most people think most people get into sales because someone like, man, you like to talk, you should be in sales. That's one of the <laughs> one of the worst one of the worst traits of, of of like salespeople are people who just can't shut up and just talk endlessly. So got to be able to let them talk.
1: And I'll say I was, I was fortunate on, on that side in sales that I don't like to talk to people at all. So I'm, I'm happy to let people talk themselves right into a, into a sale and just ask a, a few questions here and there and let and them tell me people, exactly how they want to buy.
0: <laughs> exactly. And, and most people will, right? When you, do, when you can do a good job of why is that important? You know, Gary, I, I get that you want to grow your business, but, but why now? Why me? Right? And you start to ask those questions, they will tell you exactly what they're thinking, where their thoughts are, what they see value in, what they need to see to feel comfortable to moving forward. And then you don't have to make any assumptions, you don't have to go do the thing where you're going to go create three different proposals, j- just to make sure you've got all the different budget levels all figured out and everything else. And then you, you don't overload them with choice, right? One of the things that's really interesting to me is that marketing often talks about limiting the amount of calls to action, because if you put too many in them, in in anything you're working on, then people don't take action. Same thing happens in sales conversations. If I show up and I give you a, a $5,000 option, a $3,000 option and a $1,500 option, does it really look like I am looking out for what's best for you? Or does it look like I'm just trying to get you to buy no matter what, please pay me. I hope you've got some money in that <laughs> wallet, you know? And uh, it's, you know, the salesperson is there to help make the decision. Even if that decision is, we're not the right ones to help you. You need to go talk to somebody else. And I think a lot of people forget that.
1: So when it comes to presenting options, have you have you found that it is best to recommend either one or we're not right? Or is there a, a good number of ones that where you can use kind of a consultative approach of, here's the one I'd recommend for you?
0: I think it... There's going to be a sweet spot. Part of this is going to be personality driven, right? Um, some people really want to show some options because they're like, hey, look, I want you to make the right decision for you. The way that I sell, um, I try to position myself as let's go really deep. Like, I'm going to ask you a ton of questions because I want to make sure that A, I can help you, B, you're in the right spot for us to have the right kind of impact with, um, and C, so that I can go back to my team to make sure that I'm not overcommitting committing us to, to anything. Right. Um, is that going to be okay? Right. I make them an active an active participant by turning things into questions as opposed to doing what a lot of people talk about of, of assuming the sale. Right. When you take the power away from an adult to make their own decisions, they don't like it. They don't like it in, like like in any situation at all, unless they've already bought into the situation. In, in some other way, right? I don't care if it's your team. I don't care if it's your, if it's your wife or how, you know partner, whatever. When you take their ability to make their own decisions out of the picture, people start to flail against that. They don't really like it, which makes sense. So as opposed to doing all these terrible techniques that have been around for forever, go the other way, right? You can stand out and be a part of the crowd when you treat them differently than other people do. So when you can show up as that trusted consultant of, asking more questions than the, than the, than the other person does. Not, not framing your questions so that way they're bear traps. And the minute they say yes to the question, you're mentally fist pumping and stuff. You should go in there with kind of, a, kind of an empty cup. Like, what were you hoping to do? It doesn't matter if, there, if this company looks like the last 50 that you killed it for. Go in there with the same beginner's mind, empty cup. What were you hoping to accomplish? I'd like to grow my business, okay? What do you mean by grow? You know, um, when I, when I was waiting tables, I waited tables and I live in Texas. And so uh, I waited tables in lots of different Mexican food restaurants and people would always ask me like, Hey, is that sauce hot? You know, is the salsa spicy? Well, not for me, but it could be different for you. And sales is the same way. We get super excited about more leads, faster growth, better results, you know, clearer communication. And we're just like, yeah, we can do all these things, but let's figure out where they're at before we start making promises that we then have to deliver on and maybe put our team at jeopardy or put our monthly recurring revenue or our churn rates in jeopardy and things like that. Man, I went, I get really ramped up about this. So I apologize if I'm going off on too many tangents, but you know, there's when you can not make assumptions and you can go into there, not making the, the standard fault of you need me a lot, And of course, you need me right now because we're having a conversation. You can then really dive deep, understand which builds trust, which makes the conversation easier and leads to more deals.
1: So it's really, really interesting to hear you say that because I think a lot of people, when they think of process, they want to think of Okay, so basically, this is a, a presentation. Let me get my PowerPoint. We've all seen a webinar where they're like, "Oh, I'll, I'll basically just walk them through my webinar," and <laughs> when um, and essentially, you're almost saying the opposite thing. Is this is just going to be you know a conversation? I'm going to ask questions. It's very uh, you know, interactive. Mm-hmm. Versus I just want you to watch my screen i 'm going to click and and do a bunch of things and at the end uh you know i I'll, I'll, I might take a question or two
0: yeah I mean I think there 's a time and a place for for the webinar funnel you know in, in the in the v s l funnel and all and all of that stuff, but like to me that 's marketing right the conversation because the the ticket is high enough that it that people are right to have some concerns. Then when you put a salesperson on that phone, especially if it's coming from some, from some sort of funnel, that salesperson is there to help them make the decision if this is the right thing for them, right? When you put a salesperson on there who's like, oh, I need you to buy this thing from me, the intentionality and in the conversation is going to shift very significantly. And that's where like your sales culture uh, really starts to show up, right? At nobody, nobody wants the label of a salesperson. And no salesperson I know thinks they're like actively pushy. But sometimes we get ramped up. Sometimes, you know, it's a personality thing. And sometimes we're just trying too hard because we're assuming that they have to have us, right? Or they have to have exposure to the problems that we help with. And sometimes it's not true, right? So not not everybody needs every solution on the planet. No solution is great for people 100% across the board. So really digging into who do you kill it for? And, and who do you not? Because if you're not killing it for a, for a segment of people, stop saying yes to those people. Stop spending time with those people. Why would, you, why would you put together a proposal for somebody who's in a market that you've never been able to deliver on? It doesn't make any sense, but we see salespeople do it all the time
1: so how do you how do you balance that between the you know making sure we're, we're doing bringing the right people in versus you know the i guess for lack of a better term the i the i gotta eat syndrome of well uh yeah maybe not a great fit today but uh i i need the money
0: yeah that's that's the question right um so i am not one of these guys who thinks that everybody should Burn their boats and go start their own thing. I'm a I'm a big believer of like having a side hustle, you know, and gradually maybe moving over. But uh, some of these people who are out there like quit your job right now. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, holy crap, you're putting people in some bad spots. Um, you know that that's very much a thing, right? There's most of selling is mindset driven, right? So if you need that deal so bad you're going to chase and you're going to chase and you're going to chase and you're going to compromise. You're going to, you're going to make some bad decisions because you're too attached to it, which is why you really have to double down on your prospecting, right? Making sure that the pipeline is nice and full, that you've got enough meetings on the calendar that you're not sweating anyone into individually. Um, You know, I lost a big deal this week, right? Um, working with a company to build out their sales team and the revenue looked fantastic and we were going to get some some equity and some percentages and everything else and it looked really good. And then it all fell apart, right? Which sometimes happens, right? Not, not a huge deal at the end of the day as long as your mindset is, you know what? There's another one. I didn't really need this one. But the minute that that is, I got to have this one because it looks too good or you don't know how long it's going to be before you get in front of another one. You're going to be the one who makes all the compromises and not them, right? Business to business decisions are, are made because, because they should be benefiting both sides, right? We often put ourselves in bad spots because our mindset is, is trash, right? And that's where stuff like journaling and meditation and working with a coach and accountability really come into play. Because, you know, it's hard to get a lot of no's in one day and then not be mentally expecting another no on the next call.
1: No, it's it's really interesting to hear your philosophy on that because I think as you know I I used to work in the automotive world I sold cars for for a while and in that world it is really common for a dealership to essentially do what they call flood the floor which is oh you know we've got this many leads coming in but I'm just going to get as many salespeople as I possibly can so that essentially they'll they'll just kind of like you know, survival of the fittest. They'll all fight each other, and we'll get a few good ones out of it. Uh, but yeah, that you know, half of them starve essentially, yeah. and they're and they're gone. But I think you you see that. That's why people are afraid to go to car dealerships because they're going to get pounced on by by one of those people who is desperate. Mm-hmm. They don't have a next. You're you're their you're their only <laughs> opportunity today. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know in. Um, I can remember very clearly, I was going to go look at a car. This was a handful of, handful of years ago. And I and I had an Infiniti G35 and I, and I was looking to get a slightly newer one. And so I pulled into the parking lot because I was driving in Infiniti and I was at an Infiniti lot and I wasn't pulling over to service. The minute I pulled into the spot and put it in park, three guys go bulking out <laughs> of the sides of this building to be the first person to greet me. And uh, I was like, this is, this is not a good look, you know, and you read books like, uh, like, like Chet Holmes's book, which I've read, which I think has got some good parts to it. But some of it is, is not good as well. You know, like, like the mind games among sales teams and sales hiring and sales culture are often pretty toxic. You know, um, Chet Holmes is like, you know, no matter who comes in, tell them that that they're not a good fit to see if they're going to sell themselves to you. Like, why would you start off a relationship with someone who's going to be, Probably bringing you business, right? If you do it the right way with beating them down. Like, why would you do that? Because you know what? I'm a pretty obvious, I mean, successful salesperson. But if I'm talking to someone and they're like, hey, I don't really think that you're the right fit for this. Okay, how'd you make that decision, right? And if they say something that makes sense, hey, you know what, you're probably right, right? If it makes sense to you and it makes sense to me, let there, there's somebody else right? I can go find somebody else to talk to. I can go find hundreds of thousands of other people to go talk to, right? And now with ads and all these different avenues, it's, it's the, the, the numbers game has shifted, right? It's not about how, like how many people can you talk to, it's how many of the right people can you talk to. So taking that, that surgeon's approach to your prospecting and your lead gen is one of the things that most people don't, don't, very, don't do very well.
1: Oh, that's that's awesome. Well, well, John, you've you've given us some some great tips so far. I'm, I could I could probably talk to you for another another several hours, but uh, uh, probably start wrapping things up here. What what haven't I asked you that you think, boy, he should have asked this? I think the listeners would get a lot of value from it, or this would really kind of drive the point home.
0: You know, I th- this is kind of my soapbox, but a lot of people lie to themselves about what they're good at and what they're not good at. What do they avoid? What do they run towards? And so starting with that level of self-awareness, right? I am never going to be as hungry to get in front of people as someone who's, who's an i personality type. I'm just not. So on paper, I don't look like someone who's going to be successful in sales. I I just don't. My, my first coach actually told my business partner, I don't know if this is the right guy for you to to partner with on this because on paper, he's going to have a lot of struggles. Right. And there's a lot of people who who have my same kind of personality makeup who are not successful in these roles, right? So part of it is the environment, part of it is the training, part of it is what you put into it. But you really need to take the time to know yourself so that way you really understand a little bit better some of your blind spots, right? Because we all have them. Um, we we all procrastinate procrastinate on different things. We all have different things that kind of arrest us in the moment. You need to go find out what that stuff is because it's going to come up in a in a conversation. I I I work with a guy. He is really 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 good. He's knowledgeable and everything else like this. But if if you challenge him too much, he gets he gets fired up, right? And he and he's I nah right. And so in in our work, it's like like I push his buttons a lot to like make sure that he can deal with it right and we try to do it at like a level nine or ten so that way whenever he's talking to like a like a hard-edged prospect who's like at like a six or a five it doesn't really seem like that big of a deal right um jaco willing is a guy who i who i follow uh, he was a navy seal commander and he talks about training and he talks about gradually ramping up the noise in the training environment so that way when you have to go do it live nothing is going to compare to as crazy and chaotic as it was when you were training Um, because his partner leaf, uh, I'm, I don't know if he started the same, but, um, he talks about it a lot. You don't rise to the occasion you fall to the level of your training. So if you're not training, um, consistently and well, you're not going to just figure it out right there in the moment, right? Because think about the pressure of this other person. You've got this whole other unknown quantity in the conversation, right? What are they motivated by? What are they scared of? What keeps them up at night? As cliche of a question as that is, um, but there's the, so train deliberately with intention and make it hard. So that way in the real world, it's never going to be as bad as it is in training. That's kind of my, my soapbox. So get an accountability partner, find people on your team, have them grill the crap out of you, make it as difficult as possible. So that way, when you, when you see it, it doesn't ever feel as bad.
1: Well, that's awesome. Well, that's, that's great stuff, John. Uh, So if somebody's like, Hey, I, I'm in, I'm, I want to, I want to do more of this or I want to practice. I want get, to get a little deeper into this. What, um, where should they go? What should they do?
0: Um, so the best way to get, I guess, kind of into the stuff that I work on, whether it's, you know, sales throwdown, I have a morning show with a, an accountability partner, and we kind of have this productivity method that we've kind of hodgepodge together from other things we've tried and we're not successful at. and We found one that works for us. Um, the best way to get into all of my stuff is just to send me a text. My cell phone number is 817-345-7449. And that gets you into kind of my, my texting circle. And I share, Mindset stuff daily. You know, if you're if you're an active sales rep and you need a, a you know a daily reminder to go get into your CRM to to update your stuff, so that way you know where you are. I do that kind of thing. I send tips, write ideas, sales tactics, techniques, and stuff like that all through this one thing. It makes it a little bit easier than you know, follow me here and like, like this and subscribe. So just shoot me a text. 817-345-7449 for any sales questions, productivity questions, business questions. We, we might talk about it on one of the shows. I might just put you into the list so that way you get tips and updates. It's kind of whatever you would like.
1: All right. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much, John. Uh, John Hill, uh, Adapted Growth Sales Throwdown On Podcast. And what was that number one more time? 817-345-7449. He loves text messages. Please text him. Yeah, blow me (laughs) this. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much. Uh, Really appreciate you coming on, John. And uh, we'll probably have you on again sometime. I'm thinking. Awesome. Explore some more of the stuff. I appreciate it.
0: Have a great day. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Pipelineology podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and look forward to seeing you on the next one. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.